All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, worship team. How are we? Good. Excellent. Thank you. Take your Bibles with me and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, it is page 1163 in the Pew Pocket Bible in front of you. While you're turning there, I feel it's important to tell you a little bit um, about my week. I have had a uh, a week like none other in, in a long time. Uh, this Monday morning, went to work uh, and found out that a co-worker of mine had died, a young man um, that, by all accounts, I don't believe knew the Lord. Um, but that just began uh, a tough week of, of, of uh, just spiritual seeking by people in the office and um, just some difficult... You know, difficult things to navigate through as far as discussion goes, but yet wanting to be faithful to what it is, what, what truth is, absolutely, but yet being sensitive. Um, on top of that, illness in our home, um, and my wife is home with the two biggest uh, ones caring for them now. So all of this while trying to prepare. Uh, so as I consider it, I think, you know, Lord, what is it that you're having me speak of that is coming with such scrutiny, such opposition, but I would ask that you pray this morning, right now, as, as, we, as I speak and as you listen, please ask the Lord to open us and to allow us to hear what it is that He would have us learn. Um, but I know that I'm certainly not the only one that has had a rough week this week. Um, I'm sure many of you have had uh, you know, rough weeks or who knows what's been going on. Uh, many around you have had the bottom drop out in their lives, and that's what's so precious about this book of Philippians. It's about joy and rejoicing. It's about rejoicing in Christ. And that, and frankly, don't we need that? I mean, we live in a world that is broken, that has fallen, that every, around every corner there's injustice and then there's chaos. And everywhere you look, you see that this world is not as God intended it to be. So we need a hope. We need a joy that is found outside of anything that this world could give us. Outside of anything that we could ever attain. We need a joy that is otherworldly, if you would, outside of this. We need a joy like Paul in Christ, in Christ alone. As I uh, approached this text, I also saw that just as, as my week was, got bad and the bad got bigger and the bigger continued to grow, I see that that is also true in the text that we're about to approach. Um, like Nick was saying, we see that everything that Paul says, Paul says, everything that I gain, I count as loss. So we see he introduces the bad. And he says, not only everything I gain, but I count everything as loss. So the bad gets bigger. And then he says, even worse, I count it as rubbish. And we're going to dive into that. But he, just in the same way that we dive into this deep pit, he glorifies and He exalts Jesus Christ. And that's the good part about this morning. is We're going to dive deep into this and then see the badness, but He's going to exalt Christ and give us all of the gains that we have in Christ. Last week, Nick began this, this portion of Scripture, chapter 3, entitled it, The Joy of Losing Legalism. Now, if I could summarize legalism, it would be this way. Legalism says... God will love us if, if we change, right? If we change, God will love us. But see, I have the second half of this message, the glorious good news of the gospel, which says God will change us 
because He loves us. So you see, it is not our changing that draws the affection of the Lord. The Lord loves us where we are and then causes the change in us and and through us. So let me tell you how I'm going to approach this text this morning. As I look at it, essentially it is Paul giving us his conversion experience. We see Paul as a man who strived and worked hard to attain and achieve. And he shares that with us. And that's what Nick walked us through last week. And yet we also see that he comes to the end of himself and he says, no, there's nothing good here. And he finds Christ. And then the richness and fullness that there is in Christ. So what this is, is an outright gospel message. The conversion experience of Paul. And when you proclaim the gospel, it many times is offensive. It is. So as I approach this text, I'm going to approach it phrase by phrase and press into our lives as the text would have it. Some of you may get upset, you may get angry, and I I assure you, if you get furious at the questions and at the pressing, your anger is not directed at me. You may be mad that I said it, but your anger belongs to the text that would press in our lives this morning. So, now that we're all ready to go, (laughs) let's stand and let's read Philippians chapter 3. We'll be tackling verses 8 through 11, but in order to gain the context of 8 through 11, we'll read all of Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering and become like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. And and when I say that, I really mean I want you to pray and ask the Lord to visit us this morning for His Spirit to move in the text and in your lives this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful for Your Word and how it speaks to us and how it opens us and how it challenges us and presses into our lives. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we ask him to visit us this morning. We know that your spirit, 
the Holy Spirit has the burden of exalting the Son. And Lord, we ask that you do that this morning as we approach this text. Make much of Jesus. Make much of Christ and little of us so that we can see Him more clearly and see Him fully and appreciate the Savior and love the Savior more this day. We thank You, Lord. In Your name we pray. Amen. Alright, please be seated. Again, verses 8-11 through 11 is what we have before us. That is our task. Please look with me at verse 8. And depending on your copy of the Scriptures, you might have it begin with something different than what I have. I read it from the ESV, which begins with, in verse 8, it begins, Indeed. The New International Version, which is the Pew Pocket Bible, and maybe your own, it begins with, What is more? The New American Standard reads, More than that. So what I want you to take away and understand is that we're jumping into verse 8, mid-thought. There is something that Paul is referring to that he continues on to say, more than that, indeed, what's more? So for us to fully understand at verse 8 what he's explaining or what he's talking about, it's necessary for us to look back. And verse 7 says this, But whatever I had gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. He's referring in there, whatever I had gained. He's referring to a list that he had cited for us in verses 5 and 6. So let's look at that list real quickly to see what it is that we find in this list. As we approach it, though, you'll find in, in, your, in your bulletin, you'll see it's broken up into two things, two categories. Things that he had received just by, by virtue of being born. Just by his birth, he received some things that he would boast in. But also we see things that he worked for, that he strived at. Things that he modified his external behavior to achieve. First, the received category, we see circumcised on the eighth day. Again, this would not be the choice of any young boy to be circumcised at any day, but not the eighth day. So we see his family is a, an upright, law-keeping family. Of the people of Israel, again, born to God's chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Pastor Nick gave us this information last week. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob that was born in the promised land. Something to boast in or potentially brag on. But also, this was the tribe that brought Israel their first king. King Saul. Something to potentially boast in. But again, outside of his control. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Born to a Hebrew mother and a Hebrew father. Purebred Hebrew. Again, not something that he had any control over, but yet, if he were to boast in anything. He's saying, if anyone has reason to boast, I have more. So he would boast in these things. In his family heritage. In his national pride. In his tribal pride as well. But he continues on. Not just with things he had received, but things that he had achieved. Again, through external behavioral modification. Just by changing your actions. Changing his actions. And striving. This is what he achieved. As to the law, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were the religious leaders of the nation. Very prominent social group, right? Religiously rigorous people. But we'll hit on that more in a moment. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul is saying, how hard did I hold to the traditions of my fathers? How hard, how, how solid was I for those traditions? To the point of violently 
persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, and this is where it blows me away completely. He says, blameless. Blameless. So he's saying, when I consider the Old Testament, when I consider it's 600 commands, 600, roughly, a little more than that, but 600 commands, 300 of them say, do this and do that. Positive commands. Then there's another 300 that say, don't do this and stay away from that. 300 positive, 300 negative commands. Paul is considering those and he says, compared to everyone else, blameless. Now, I I don't even understand how we get to 600, why that's even necessary. In our household we have, but, you know, five, seven. There's no need for 600 to rule a nation, uh, a tribe, uh, what have you, a family. We only have a few. Now, don't get me wrong, we do have, you know, the occasional need to say, don't push your brother as he's going down the stairs, right? Those things happen. But that is not a standing rule in our household. We don't say, okay, rule number 782, don't push your sibling as they're going down the stairs. Not necessary. But here, he's saying, as to the 600 commands, blameless. And in that, I want you to understand this, in that, he's saying, again, the reason he's giving us this list is to say, if anyone has reason to boast, I have more. So in doing so, what he is doing is he's taking away our ability to say, I'm a good person. I can rest in my own goodness. Because see, he's saying, if you think you're good, I am far better. And we'll see what he continues to say is, it's all wasted. It's all a loss. It's all rubbish. So he's taking away our ability to rest in our own goodness. And you know what? Thank God for that. So let's continue. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So he's saying here, not only is everything in this category of, of the good things that I have achieved, not only is my national pride, my family heritage, my keeping of the rules, my social standing, all of these things that were good, he's saying, I count them as loss. But then he continues on and he says, Everything that I have yet to achieve, everything that I have yet to gain, yet to receive, anything that this world could ever give me, anything that I could strive and get, I count as loss. So you see how the bad, he introduced the bad, and the bad just got bigger, did it not? He's saying everything that that the world could ever offer me is loss. But he continues on further than that. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, and he says that he counts everything as rubbish. Now, the Greek word here is skubalon. Now, what's interesting about this word, it's a very strong word, and Pastor Nick alluded to some of that last week, It's a very strong word that is found nowhere else in Scripture. Nowhere else in the New Testament do you find this word. So that alone gives us an understanding of the severity of the word potentially. The King James translators, if you have a King James or a New King James, what you'll find is they use the word dung, which as we all know is fecal waste. Disgusting filth, fecal matter. And that is what the word actually means. 
skubalon. But more than that, it is the vulgar term for that word. So just how we have, I could say the word dung, 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 over and over, and it's, it loses its meaning. After, afterwards, it, it, it is no longer shocking. But in our English language, we have another word, do we not? A four-letter filth word that I could utter here that would shock. If I said this word, and I'm not going to, if I said this word, you would say, absolutely not. That has no place from this pulpit. That has no place within these walls. And it should not be uttered from the, word, from the mouth of a believer. You would say that. You would be shocked if I said this word from this pulpit. And that is what Paul is doing in his writing. He is shocking his original audience, getting in their face to prove a point. What's his point? Verse 3 begins this way. Verse 3 and 4, he's giving out the list saying we put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying all that the flesh could ever produce is dung. That's all that, that the flesh could ever do. All of our goodness, all of our self-righteous deeds, all of our good moral character, all of our things that we boast in, all of that could produce nothing more than filthy, nasty, vile, disgusting dung. That's what he's saying, church. And that's shocking when you consider that fact, right? So next time, consider, and, and it's easy to remember this, consider this truth. Next time, new parents. Next time, nursery workers. Next time, grandparents. You're changing a diaper. And you're opening it up, pulling the diaper out, and you're disgusted. You don't want to get anything on your hands. That is our self-righteousness. That is our good deeds. That is our goodness. Everything that we trust in is the filth that we don't want to touch. Right? So consider that next time you're you're doing that, new parents and grandparents. You should be doing that as well. <laughs> we appreciate it. So, enough with the potty talk. The reality is this, though. Much of the world spends their day trying to do better and try harder and believing that if they modify their external behavior, their heart will be changed. Their heart will be transformed. But you know what this amounts to, essentially? All this is is mowing over your weeds. You know what I mean by that? I mean, it's fall. But we just came out of a summer, and I, I didn't have to mow that often, but I did have some weeds. And you know what happens? If you have some weeds crop up, there's a couple of things you could do. You could handle the weeds, or you could just mow right over them, right? And what happens? The lawn looks pretty good for a couple of days. It doesn't. It doesn't look too bad. But then the weeds crop up again, don't they? You see, because you didn't deal with the issue. And that is what happens with sin. If we're externally trying to modify our behavior, we're not dealing with the sin. We're not dealing with the heart of the matter. Because the truth is, it's a matter of the heart. And much of the church is doing that. Racing and working. Trying to muster up enough power to do better and to try harder to not fall into that sin one more time. You say, that's the last time I will fall into that sin. Just because you're trying to do better and try harder, you fall again. You see, we're distracted by the good things in the good behaviors and trying to do better and to try harder. And many times we miss our need for Christ. We miss our need for true repentance and faith in Christ alone. 
have included a quote by Martin Luther that I appreciate a lot. It says, the devil is forever calling people to good works. The devil is calling people to come do good. To keep them from seeing their need for Christ. Now as you consider this quote, and as I did the first couple of times I read it, I thought, wow, that is so true, you know? As I try to witness to people and I talk to them, they tell me about how good they are. But it's not just outside of these walls, church. It's in here. Do we not need Christ? Do we not need His forgiveness and His righteousness on a daily basis? But you see, the devil is calling us to good works so that we don't believe that we need Him any longer. So that we fail to see our need for Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning, do you still need Jesus? Absolutely we do. This morning, we, uh, in our Sunday school hour, we looked at this verse in Galatians. And I've put it here as well. Galatians 3.10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law. Now, if we can just kind of simplify that. All who rely on external behavioral modification. Changing behavior. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now in that word justification, justified, it just means declared right. Declared right. No one is declared right by works of the law. No one is declared right by their external behavioral changes. All right, Philippians 3.9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, like I said, church, the devil would be more than happy to call us to good works and never seeing our need for Christ. And that is true inside of these walls. The vast majority of the people that you would talk to are ready to tell you about how good they are. And they're going and wandering, doing what is good in their own eyes. And never coming to the point of being broken over their sin. And that's dangerous inside these walls, church. When you consider just this morning, this Sunday morning, like many of you, thousands across this land, in America have woken up early, got dressed, put on their best clothes, and went to church, yelling at kids to get in the car. They get to church, put on the happy face, right? Thinking that somehow it will matter. Somehow it will earn their way. Somehow they have done enough this week. They've done what they should have done this week so that God will be pleased with them. As I continue to read the Scriptures, I'm convinced by them that many now are wasting their lives in their efforts towards salvation. Consider it this morning. Families across this country seated in pews, going to Bible study, listening to the Word being taught, many teaching and preaching the Word. And it's wasted. In efforts... For salvation, they think they're doing enough. They're doing well. They're trying better. 
teaching, they're serving, and they're missing the point. They're missing Christ altogether, and it's wasted. You see, because if those things are not pressing you into a deeper appreciation for the Savior and for more love of Jesus Christ, it's wasted. Now the question that the Scripture this morning would ask of us is this. Am I busy pursuing a righteousness of my own or am I totally dependent on the righteousness of Christ alone? Am I busy pursuing a righteousness of my own? Or am I totally dependent on the righteousness of Christ alone? And secondly, how is that evident in your life? Are you busy proclaiming your own goodness? Or have you come to the end of yourself? And do you, not, and do you know, and the Sunday school class hears me say this a lot, that there is nothing good that we bring to the table. The only thing that we bring to the table is the sin that makes salvation necessary. That's it. That's it. You see, but it is Christ who stands. We have a high and holy God who looks at us. But when the blood of Christ is seen between us, when God looks at you, church, when He looks at you, He sees you as holy, as spotless, blameless and pure, only through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, and that's the glorious good news. So I ask again, are we busy about a righteousness of our own, or are we totally dependent on the righteousness which comes through Christ alone? Are the activities of your life, your prayer, your Bible study, your fasting, and all the disciplines that we've been commanded, are they pressing you towards the Savior? Are they leading you more in love with the Savior? Or are those activities an end in themselves? You see, because Jesus was very aggressive with the Pharisees. Very aggressive. He said to them, You search the Scriptures in vain. You think in them that you have life and you refuse to come to Me of whom the Scriptures testify. They were busy about a righteousness of their own and Christ would say, No, that's not going to get you anywhere. You're missing the mark. You're missing Me. Church, affections matter. In your reading of the Word, are you getting to Jesus? In your study of the Word, are you getting to Jesus? In your prayer time, are you getting to Jesus? In your time of small group, are you getting to Jesus? Are you falling in love with the Savior more and more? Because if you're not, it's just as Jesus said, it's, it's in vain, it's wasted. And we've missed the mark. You see... Be a man or woman of the Word, yes, absolutely. But if you're just soaking up truth like a sponge for truth's sake and never being pressed to the truth, then you've missed the mark. Now, among the scariest passages in Scripture is when Jesus is saying, many will say to me on that last day, did we not, did we not do this in your name? And I'm convinced that is true for much of the church today. Did we not do our absolute best to live high and moral lives? Did we not do our best to make it to church every Sunday? Did we not serve your people? Did we not study your word? And he may say, 
apart from me, I never knew you. You see, these activities could mask our true spiritual condition. And it's easy to hide. It's easy to sit here and to learn the songs and to know when to clap and to speak the lingo. I would covet your prayers, right? And miss the mark. It's easy to hide in here because it's a subculture that you can adopt and you can do and you can do these things. And again, it's easy to hide and completely miss Christ. See, but there is hope. There is glorious good news. And that is what Paul is getting at here. There are, there's much to be gained. There's much joy to be found. And so much that Christ will give us. You see, the same way that Paul introduces the bad, the bad gets bigger and the bigger gets worse into the refuse and filth that he describes in that word. The same is true with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's continue at this text and focus on what he is saying that we gain in Christ. And follow with me as we watch this unfold. Verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul, church, is here declaring that in Christ you have found something. You have found someone worth losing everything for. Look, look at what he says. I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everything is a loss when it comes to surpassing worth of knowing Him. It's important though to understand that as you're approaching these texts, this being in Christ and being found in Him, that's speaking about a Christian, speaking about a believer. All of the gains that we're about to go, go through only apply to that of a, of a Christian, someone who has put their trust and faith in Christ alone. So what does Paul say that he gains when he comes to Christ? First, verse 9, we gain the righteousness of Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the first gain that we have, church, is the righteousness of Christ. And we need that. We do because we're some dirty sinners. We are some dirty fools. Seriously, we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. You see, we're all guilty. Every one of us. Whether you feel it or not, believe it or not, disagree with me all you want, we're all guilty of the greatest sin of all, of, of the blasphemy. We've committed, I have committed, the greatest blasphemy in the universe. You see, when you consider an almighty, infinite Creator God who created everything for His glory, and then He creates humanity for fellowship with Him, and to glorify Him, the greatest expression of His glory was humanity. And what do we do? We belittle that. We belittle His name. Belittle His glory. Every one of us, at one point in our lives, or maybe even currently, we thought that our way was better than God's. We fail to acknowledge Him. We fail to... Acknowledge His rule and His reign and His authority. All the while, with our minds that He gave us to reason, we put ourselves on the throne of our own lives, saying, my way is better than yours. That's the greatest blasphemy. He gives us each day to glorify Him and we put ourselves on the throne. He gives us each breath that we can sing praises to Him and glorify Him. And what do we do? We don't do that at all. So believe it, believe it or not, feel it or not, it's true. 
And God will respond to this belittlement. He will in judgment. And it's unpopular today to speak of hell. Just, just on Friday, we were at the funeral of my friend, like I said, and everyone there, if you, if you listen to it, it was, a, it, was, it was proclaimed that we're all going to be together again someday and we all have hope and we're all going to be free and we're all set. And in talking to a friend of mine who, who is also Catholic, he says, yeah, we don't speak of hell much. Um, but the reality is this, hell is real and eternity is long. So that's why we need to be made right. We need a righteousness outside of our own. Again, we are some dirty fools. We need a righteousness. We need to be remade, reborn, restored. And that's the free offer of the Gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. Elsewhere, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this way of the righteousness of God. Beginning in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Church, that applies to you and to me. Making His appeal to us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I implore you this morning on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. And verse 21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Praise God for that. That is glorious good news. In Him we have the righteousness of Christ. And more than that, what is it dependent on? Look at this. Look at verse 9. The Philippians, not on our efforts, not on our working, dependent on faith alone. Believer, you don't have to do better and try harder to be accepted before God. You've already been accepted. God's pleasure is not determined by your performance for Him. God's pleasure for you is determined simply in His performance on your behalf. And what's asked of you is to believe. Be reconciled to God. There's no better news. That is freedom. That is the joy that we have in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is the only way that we can stand before a holy God. The only place, that's the only way we can stand before the Lord. We had no business being before God. If we found ourselves before God outside of the righteousness of Christ, we would tremble in fear. We would run away. But with the righteousness of Christ, we've been more than standing. We've been invited in through His righteousness, through His blood. And that creates immeasurable joy, immeasurable gratitude, immeasurable love for Christ. But Paul continues on. More than his righteousness, he continues on with the power of his resurrection. The power that raised Christ from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit church, is given to you. is given to me. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we need Him. Desperately, we need Him. Because there is nothing within us that would want to glorify God. All that we would want to do is glorify self, satisfy self, and seek self. That is it. That's all that our life is consumed with outside of Christ. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, again, like I prayed, the Holy Spirit has been given a burden to glorify the Son. So when you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, it is your burden as well as mine to glorify the Son. That is the only way that we can obey Him and love Him and serve Him and honor Him with our lives is through the indwelling Holy Spirit that is found in us. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son in your life and mine when we serve Him and obey Him. And we need Him to enable us to do that. But the Holy Spirit also glorifies the Son by drawing people to the Son. Church, be used mightily for that aim, for that purpose. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to the Son. And He'll do it with or without you, but He's invited you to join in that effort. Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and He's the one who gives us life. As I was preparing this message and preparing everything, I remember talking and saying, and, and, and questioning, and you might have had this question too, is everything that we do filth? Everything that a believer does? Or, or is it just unbelievers that their goodness is filth? Galatians 2.20 puts it this way, and it's clear to me. If I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So what I see in that text, church, is anything that we do that is good and God-honoring and glorifying and praiseworthy, it is not us. We are used by God, but it is Christ living in us. It's the Holy Spirit working through us to do those things to glorify God. But the great thing is, they're not rubbish, they're not filth, but God is using us. So take, take heart, be encouraged. Let the Holy Spirit work within you and glorify the Son. So we see what? We see that we've gained Christ. We've received Him, received His righteousness, received the power of His resurrection, but Paul is not done. He continues on. That we may share in His suffering. This is where it gets a little bit unusual, does it not? You see, in our American Western culture, we, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. We seek comfort more than anything else. Satisfaction and pleasure is, is the way of American culture. So when we read this, we say, all right, I get his, 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 his power, absolutely. I get his righteousness, amen. His sharing and his suffering, that's where we say, okay, I should have got off at the last stop. That's not where I want to go. But the fact of the matter is this, we live in a broken and fallen world, do we not? Everyone suffers, the believer as well as the unbeliever. It's broken, it's far from ideal. Around every corner, the world screams, I am broken. Whether it's nature, whether it's humanity, whether it's death and disease. And we grieve. And we say, you know, we say these things, and just considering this funeral I was at on Friday, we say these things, we approach the body, and many people will say, you know, that this is, this is the natural progression of life. It's not natural at all. There's nothing natural about death at all. 
what happens when you look at that. We say death, we say death is natural, but it's not. Sin has reigned in our mortal bodies. Sin has taken over. And sin has broken what God had once made good. But we find hope that one day God will remake. We look forward to a day and we long for a day when God will make all things right again. You see, when we grieve, it's a small act of worship to say, we know that this isn't right. We know that this is broken. Lord, we know that we long for a day when you will make things right. When you will renew what was now broken. It's a small act of worship. We can grieve. Yes, absolutely. There is suffering. True suffering. But we long for that day, don't we? When he will wipe every tear from our eye and we will embrace him. But until that day, suffering presses us further into the Savior. We rely on him. We may ask, Where is God in this? Where was He in this? But God is most present. Not at the peak of the mountain. Not at the top of the mountain. God is most present in our lives and there for us. When we're on our knees at the bottom of the mountain. God, Jesus, is not the man at the top of the ladder yelling, Climb! Climb! That is not Christ at all. Jesus is the bloodied man at the bottom of the cross who says, It is finished. You see, he was not foreign to suffering. He was the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And when we suffer, he can comfort us. We don't need a God that can rescue us from pain. We need God to rescue us through our pain. And Paul records this, 2 Corinthians 12. You have a lot more there. I'll read it from here. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. I am content with insults. I am content with hardship. I am content in persecution. I am content in calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, we rest in Christ. We get pressed further into Christ when we suffer. That is how we can joy in suffering. We know that this experience, yes, may be hard, but it is pressing me to the Savior. Lastly, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, if we've been united with Christ, we shall certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. Verses Roman, Romans 6, verses, verse 5 reads that way. If we've been united with Him in His death, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. So Christian, when we come to Christ, the Bible says that our old self was crucified with Him. This body of sin and death has been made to nothing. We have a new nature like we saw in in, uh, 2 Corinthians. So we live for His honor and for His glory. That's what it means. Like Him in His death. Our self, our old self, died on that cross with Him. And now we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us, to live for Him to find newness of life. 
In Christ we are made new. And in, in uh, Eric's time here, he has introduced this song to us, and I really appreciate this song, Completely Done. The chorus of the song reads this way, The old has gone, the new has come. What you complete is completely done. We were heirs with Christ, the victory won. What you complete is completely done. We can have great hope when it comes to the end. When we come to the end of our, of our lives, we have great hope that the victory has already been won. Christ put death to death. And one day there is coming when the dead in Christ will rise. And we will be united with Him one day. And He will wipe every tear from our eyes and we will embrace Him. And we will be closest to the Savior. But until then, we long for that day. As I continue to close, believer, don't graduate past the gospel. The God of the universe has been gracious to you and has forgiven you. More than that, He's given you His righteousness. Forgiveness takes your negative and drops it to a zero. But your bank account is not a zero. You've been credited the righteousness of Christ. There is nothing, no one has ever done anything more loving than that for you. Don't graduate past the gospel. Don't think that, okay, I I accepted Christ. That is the gospel and I'm moving beyond that. Move deeper into the realities of what that means. Move deeper into the gospel. I have received grace. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm transformed by it. I can't get beyond it. Church, don't ever believe that you can either. Eric, worship team, you guys can come on up. The letter of Paul to the Philippian church is fundamentally about joy and rejoicing. You see, and as we understand this, understand that God is most glorified in your life and mine when we find joy in Him. That is when He is most glorified. You see, and when God speaks commands into our lives, when God speaks into your marriage, when God speaks into your money, when God speaks into your raising of children, anything, God is bringing you into fullness of joy. He's not trying to rob anything from you. He's trying to bring you into joy. You see, God is not in any way glorified in our begrudging submission to Him and His ways. He's not glorified in you saying, well, I guess, I'll do this. He's got lightning bolts, so I'll do it. He's not glorified in that at all. But He's trying to bring you into fullness of joy. Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give life abundantly. Life to the full. Life that only comes from Him. John 17.3 says, I am life. I will give them life, eternal life. Jesus Christ. That life is Him. And as I consider this message, I know that there are many where this does not apply. There are many where the Spirit does not move and does not reign. But if God has been faithful to what we've asked Him to do this morning, to come and to visit us and to let His Holy Spirit move in us, maybe there's something in you that says, I don't know this joy. I want to know this Savior, but I don't. I would invite you to talk to me, talk to Nick. Please, we would love nothing more this morning than to share Christ with you. And again, 
for the believer, the nominal Christian, the marginal believer that says, this, this is my Christian experience coming to church from Sunday to Sunday. And when you come here, you're not pressed to love the Savior more. You leave the same way you came in, unchallenged and unchanged. Look, you should be nervous. That's the fact. If there's nothing in you, no, nothing within you that stirs and says, I want to love the Savior more. I want to know Him more. I want to see Him more every day. I want to serve Him more. If there's nothing in you that presses that way, you should be nervous. I'm not saying you're not a believer, but I'm saying you should probably spend some time in prayer. Ask God to rekindle affections for Him. Affections matter, church. In your preaching, and in your teaching, and in your study, in your quiet time, are you getting to Jesus? Because if you're not, it's just as Jesus said, it's in vain. You're missing the mark. Look, I know that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to stand here and to say these things. Maybe you're not where you think you should be. Maybe you're not where you, where you are. But the fact remains, it is more loving to press and to push and to prod into these areas of our life. It is. To ignore these things would be wrong of me. It wouldn't be preaching the full counsel of God. So while it may be difficult to consider, am I truly where I need to be? Sometimes the most loving thing God can do, the most gracious thing that He can do is to wound us. God is there in our suffering. That is what He does. And when God, when there's suffering, I want you to understand this. God is not an EMT, a first responder when it comes to suffering. He isn't. He's not surprised by it, reacting to it, hoping for the best. God is the surgeon when it comes to suffering. It's on His timetable for His purpose. And He's doing it for His will and for His glory. That's how He works. Look, church, He hurts you to heal you. He breaks you to bind you. He cuts you so that He can touch you. He is well acquainted with grief. After all, He died to revive you, to give you new life. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we are grateful for your word and for how it tears us open and challenges us. We're thankful for your spirit, how he moves and how he exalts your son. I pray, Lord, that you have been faithful to our requests, that you would visit us this morning, that you would move in us and through us, that you would draw people unto yourself, that we would love the Savior more. I pray, Lord, that you have been faithful to that and you are working in the lives of people here. Lord, we may not be where we need to be. And you've used these words, your text, to challenge us. And you're looking to change us. Lord, I ask that you allow us to walk in obedience to you. Walk in obedience to your, your spirit. Your spirit's moving and your spirit's calling. For that we are grateful. Lord, draw us to you. Lead us to your cross. Lead us to your Savior. The only Savior that we have. The only hope that we have. We thank you. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.